Well, good morning, everyone. How are you all this morning? Hope you're doing well. Uh, if you're new to the church, you've been here in the last six or seven weeks. My name is Matt, and I am one of the pastors here at Cornerstone. I actually have the privilege of being the Okatee campus pastor uh, who is meeting right now at River Ridge Academy. And it's just been a joy to be a part of the work that God is doing in our church. And, and I didn't do this in the first service, but I just want to kind of encourage you. Hey, if you didn't take out your phone in church, one, like, good job. You followed training from before. But we really want you to pray with us this month because God is doing some incredible things in our church. So make sure that you text that number and be a part of our Pray for the Future campaign. God is doing some amazing and incredible things and we get to be a part of it. So make sure and join us in prayer this month for that campaign. So uh, we're excited about what God is doing. We're excited about this series, Detours. And if you have a copy of God's Word, I want to encourage you to go ahead and open that up to Genesis chapter 41. We're going to pick up Joseph's story there. And as you find your place in the scriptures, I just kind of want to recap a couple of things that have been going on with Joseph. So um, we're learning in this series that detours are not meant to define us, um, but they're meant to develop us for the destination that God has us for. And throughout this series, we've learned some awesome things about uh, what God is doing and how we can lean into who God is and what He is doing in our lives in order that our faith just doesn't fall apart or end up shipwrecked or things of that nature. And I want to continue to talk to you about that because uh, just because detours are not meant to define us but to develop us doesn't mean that sometimes those detours won't maybe end up damaging us if we're not careful. Um, Who here in life, like when I was in the sixth grade, I remember sitting down and doing this exercise where they asked us to plan our lives. Can you imagine being like 12 years old and writing down the plan for your life? I saw to about the age 25, which was twice as long as I had lived up to that point in my life, right? And to, to, to think through that, like, and if I was being honest, my life has been very different than 12-year-old me thought it would be. Um, 12-year-old me was very short-sighted, only had a few goals. Uh, one of them was to, you know, graduate high school. Uh, that was something I thought would be really important. Um, and then I wanted to get married, maybe go to college. So those two things kind of fell in there. And I wanted to have kids. I got to age 25 and I nailed it. <laughs> Did it all. It's done. Like... This is it. And then uh, I got to 30. And at 30, I had a midlife crisis. So, I mean, that's just kind of how, how it goes. And you, I know some of you are like, that's awful young for a midlife crisis. But you don't know me. So um, I don't know if I'm halfway there. I don't know like, where I'm at. But, yeah, it was pretty bad. 30 was, was a rough one for me. But 30 is great for those of you that have birthdays coming up. Anyways, let me get back on track. It's all, it's all good from here. Um, we can learn from, from Joseph this. Like when life doesn't go the way that we've planned, we have to have the type of faith that doesn't end up damaged along the way so that we don't end up damaging others along the way. And, and I bet in your life that you might even be on a detour that was actually caused by somebody else who did not weather life's detours quite as well. And here's the thing, life is heavy sometimes, right? Like this, just hard things happen, hard things come and they go, and it's, and it's like we just kind of have to weather the storm for it. And, and, and sometimes the things that happen to us, they stick with us for a while afterwards. 
I was a youth pastor for nine years before coming to Cornerstone in 2017. And um, in 2013, I took my students to a beach camp down in Panama City, Florida. And the great thing about going to the beach for us that year was that there was a tropical storm sitting in the Gulf of Mexico and we could not go to the beach. So we had to look at the beach. It was kind of like you can look at it, but you can't touch it or else you'll die, right? Like that's how like scary it was. Like there was this storm out there. And so it was safe for us to be at camp, but just not safe to go in the waters. And so during this uh, week of camp that we couldn't go in the water at beach camp, um, it was raining a little bit and, and causing a lot of like sea spray to kind of come up and keep things nice and damp. And one morning while I was on my way to breakfast, uh, I, I slipped in the stairwell like at this hotel and it was an outdoor stairwell. And so I slipped and I reached up for the handlebar to grab me and lo and behold, my weight pulled me down, right? And so it, it just extended. And I'm pretty confident I tore something in my shoulder or whatever. And I just kind of shook it off and was like, yeah, I'm good. Because uh, in 2013, I was 30. <laughs> and so um, just ever since, anybody have this? Like you got an old injury and you feel it every now and again? You move a certain way, right? You go to do your push-ups and you're just like, oh, yeah, I can't do that side quite as much. So my left might be stronger than my right now kind of thing. Um, yeah, like there's just times where like I'll be doing something and it'll catch me. And I'm like, man, I remember falling down the stairs back in 2013. And, and, and sometimes detours can have that effect on us, that, that they, they damage us enough to where it lingers with us. And this morning, what I want us to see in the scriptures, we're going to make our way through a lot of narrative, but I want us to see that, that because of the God that we serve and the God that we say we trust and the God who we say we believe in, the damage that's done to us because of our detours doesn't have to last forever. And it doesn't have to keep us from the plan that God has for us. So we're going to pick up in Genesis chapter 41, starting in verse 1. Now setting this up, Joseph, uh, last week we, we talked about Joseph. He met a couple of men in prison, and they are the cupbearer and the baker, not the candlestick maker, okay? Like that's a different story. This is just the cupbearer and the baker. And they in, are in prison. They have dreams, and Joseph helps them with their dreams. And for one, it's not so great, right? But the other one is elevated to back to his original position of cupbearer. And the, Joseph asks the cupbearer really kindly, he says, hey, just don't forget me when you go back into your position. Genesis 41, 1. Two full years later, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing on the bank of the Nile. Pharaoh has a dream two full years after the cupbearer is restored to his position. And I'm just, spoiler alert, the cupbearer forgot. He forgot. And here's what happens in these dreams. I just want to summarize them for you real quick. In the dreams, Pharaoh sees seven fat calves, like real healthy, good-looking calves. They're going to produce some really great T-bone steaks later, a real nice prime brisket to be smoked and turned into like the most wonderful meat ever, right? Like these are great calves, black Angus, whatever is your preference out there. If you're not a meat eater, I'm sorry. I, I, the next dream is for you, okay? And so he sees these seven calves, but then what, it, what happens is he sees what, afterwards these like seven more cattle and they're like gaunt and like 
ugh, gross. Like, they, they've got, like they've got disease. Uh, one of them's got, like, something going on, probably like a droopy eye or something like that. Like, they're just not good-looking cattle. They're real thin. And they consume the seven fat calves. And he wakes up. He's like, what in the world is this dream? He goes back to sleep. He has another dream. This is for the vegetarians in the room. It's seven heads of grain. Nice, supple heads of grain. I, like, I've never looked at grain and thought, wow, doesn't that look tasty? Um, and so he sees this grain, and it's nice. and looks good for the harvest. Like, it's, and when you, you harvest it and you, you use it, it's going to produce a lot of food for people, right? And then he sees seven other heads of grain, but these heads of grain, they look awful. Uh, it says they look as if they've been battered by the east wind. They've been through some stuff, and if you were to harvest them, they weren't going to produce that much. And so um, those thin, awful-looking heads of grain consume the other healthy heads of grain, and, and then he wakes up. And he says, look, I, I, don't, I don't know what these dreams mean, but here's the thing. It's been two full years since Joseph was in the prison. Pharaoh is having these crazy dreams. And, and the thing that we can kind of look at this is, and begin to ask the question is, they, they seem like unrelated events. But with God, he is always doing more than meets the eye. And so Pharaoh's having dreams two full years later, and Joseph is sitting in a jail cell, and God is beginning to do something says this in verse 8, the next morning Pharaoh was very disturbed by the dream, so he called for all, the, magici- all the, the magicians and wise men of Egypt. When Pharaoh told them his dreams, not one of them could tell him what they meant. Finally, the king's chief cupbearer spoke up. Today I have been reminded of my failure, he told Pharaoh. He remembers Joseph. He remembers that he failed to remember Joseph. And he says, look, when I was in prison, Pharaoh, you remember we were not on good terms and you had me thrown in prison. And during that time, I met this Hebrew and I had a dream myself. And this, this Hebrew, he interpreted my dream and I believe he's the man for the job. And so Pharaoh sends for Joseph. We're going to pick up in verse 14. And he was brought quickly from the prison. After he shaved and changed his clothes, he went in and stood before Pharaoh. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream last night, and no one here can tell me what it means, but I have heard that when you hear about a dream, you can interpret it. Joseph responds, it is beyond my power to do this, but God can tell you what it means and set you at ease. And, And the thing we can pick up from this is Joseph's perspective has started to shift. In, in chapter 40, he's shared these dreams, and he says, well, interpreting dreams is God's business. Tell me your dreams. And that's a little different. It's almost like, well, I know God. I can do God things. And while that's true, when we begin to take the power upon ourselves, we begin to take God out of the equation. And that's kind of what starts to happen with Joseph in chapter 40. Here, he says, look, it's beyond my power to interpret dreams. But God is the one who can tell you what it means, and he can set you at ease. And the thing that we have to pick up from here is this, that no matter our circumstances, God can tell us what is happening, and he can set us at ease. That regardless of where we find ourselves in life, regardless of of, of what the plan was and where we find ourselves, no matter where the detour has led us, 
God is the one who can tell us what's going on and he can set us at ease. Not only that, but we continue on. Verse 28, we'll pick up the story. Pharaoh tells Joseph the dreams, and Joseph says, okay, here's what the dreams mean. This will happen just as I have described it, he says, for God has revealed to Pharaoh in advance what he is about to do. The next seven years will be a period of great prosperity throughout the land of Egypt, but afterward there will be seven years of famine, so great that all the prosperity will be forgotten in Egypt. Famine will destroy the land. This famine will be so severe that even the memory of the good years will be erased. As for having two similar dreams, it means that these events have been decreed by God, and He will soon make them happen. You see, God can reveal what it is that He is about to do in any situation. Here's what God is doing in Joseph, uh, through Joseph's interpretation and Pharaoh's dream. He's saying, here is what's about to happen. There's going to be seven years of plenty, seven years of prosperity. There's going to be good times. And then for seven years, there's going to be famine. And it's going to be so great that you'll forget about the prosperity that there was before. And as we know things, like, this is how the world works, right? There's prosperity, and then there's trouble. There's prosperity, and then there's trouble. And when there's long periods of prosperity, I just want to share a story with you. There's probably going to be a long period of trouble afterwards. Because that's how the world works. This is how things go. Life moves in seasons. But here's the thing. God, not only can God reveal to us what He is about to do, but God can also reveal to us what it is that we are to do. Picking up in verse 33, here is what Joseph says should be done. Therefore, Pharaoh, you should find an intelligent and wise man and put him in charge of the entire land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh, appointed, uh, then Pharaoh should appoint supervisors over the land. And let them collect one-fifth of all the crops during the seven good years. Have them gather all the food produced in the good years that are just ahead and bring it to Pharaoh's storehouses. Store it away and guard it so there will be food in the cities. That way there will be enough to eat when the seven years of famine come to the land of Egypt. Otherwise, this famine will destroy the land. So Joseph sees God is saying something. And if we look at God's perspective, we can figure out what to do. And so from this, we can, we can, we can just pick up what Joseph is, is laying out for us. That we can use God's perspective to see God's providence so that we can see his plan. That when we look at what, where God is and how God exists over us and from his vantage point... We can see how he is moving. We have to look for the ways in which God is speaking, which God is revealing things, how God is moving and asking and doing and, and putting things into place so that we can see what the plan is. Maybe you find yourself in your life like you're just not really sure what God is doing. You've got hurt, you've got pain, you've walked through things, and you have no idea how God could use that. And that's fair. I'm pretty confident there were seasons in Joseph's life where he's sitting in a prison cell wondering, why am I here, God? Surely your plan for my life could not be that I would be in charge of a, of a jail while I am imprisoned in it. That, that sounds like middle management, right? 
Like, I'm a boss, but I'm not quite a boss? Like, like what is... Like, I'm free, but I'm not really free? Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, like they, they, there's got to be moments in Joseph's life where he's like, I, God, I, I don't really understand. What is going on? I had this dream at 17, but now I'm, I'm in a jail cell, and the one guy I thought could help me out, he's forgotten about me. It's been two years since I've heard from him. And I'm sure there's places in your life, seasons in your life, where you're, where you're wondering, like, God, what is it you're doing? Why why is this happening now? Or why did that happen back then? But I want to ask you, have you ever tried to look at it from God's perspective? Have you, have you ever asked God to reveal what it is that you should do with it? Even more, like, do you trust that God has a plan for your life? Do you really trust that God has a plan for your life. Because here's the thing. When you trust that God has a plan for your life, you bet the farm on it. You go all in on it. Because here's what happens when we use God's perspective and see his providence as he reveals his plans. Things begin to shift and change for Joseph. Picking up verse 37, Joseph's suggestions were well received by Pharaoh and his officials. So Pharaoh asked his officials, can we find anyone else like this man so obviously filled with the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has revealed the meaning of the dreams to you, clearly no one else is as intelligent as you are. You will be in charge of my court and all my people will take orders from you. Only I, sitting on my throne, will have a higher rank than yours. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the entire land of Egypt. Your boy's on the come up. Rags to riches, right? Zero to hero. He's, this is like the prime, like let's, let, I'm moving on up, right? Like he's got, everything is beginning to change in Joseph's life. This isn't like a subtle move by Pharaoh either. Pharaoh doesn't just have this secret meeting and says, all right, Joseph's in charge, everybody. I'm going to go hang out at the throne. Uh, I'll be in my chair. Like, that's not how this works. What Pharaoh actually does is he gives gives Joseph clothing that signifies who he is. And, And he gives him his signet ring. And then he puts him in a chariot and basically shows him off to all of Egypt, saying, this is the man who's in charge now. This is a big ceremonious thing. So Joseph got a new job. Not only is he going to be second in, in all of Egypt, but here's what happens. He begins to put the plan into motion, and the, the years of prosperity begin, and they begin storing up uh, the, the food. And we pick up Joseph's story in verse 50. It says this, During this time, before the first of the famine years, two sons were born to Joseph, and his wife Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, the priest of On. Joseph named his older son Manasseh, for he said, God has made me forget all my troubles and everyone in my father's family. Joseph named his second son Ephraim, for he said, God has made me fruitful in this land of my grief. At last, the seven years of bumper crops throughout the land of Egypt came to an end. Then the seven years of famine began. Just as Joseph had predicted, the famine also struck all the surrounding countries, but throughout Egypt, there was plenty of food. So Joseph, 
hears a dream. He interprets the dream because God is the one who can interpret the dream. So he, he uses God's perspective, understanding he is not God. God is God. And if God wants us to know the meaning of the dream, he's the one that will reveal it. So he goes to the Lord and he hears this interpretation. He shares it and it results in his good. Everything changes for Joseph. You see, Joseph had given or excuse me, God had given Joseph a dream at 17 years of age. But Joseph wasn't ready for that dream. Could you imagine a 17-year-old vice president of the United States? Just like 12-year-old me planning out my life. It probably wouldn't go well. Like, we could try it because it's probably never been done before. Like, I mean, some of us are like, you know, try new things like that. But it's not like, you know, changing up your lunch order and trying something different when you always order the turkey sandwich. Like, this is different. This is a big move. So Joseph, he, he couldn't have been number two in the land of Egypt at 17. He wasn't ready for it. And so God uses the detours, 13 years of detours. Joseph is 30 years old when he ascends to second in command in the land of Egypt under Pharaoh alone. 13 years of detours. And God was preparing Joseph all along the way for the place that he had for him. But God was also preparing the place for Joseph. See, Joseph needed to be prepared, but Egypt needed to be prepared as well. You see, God is fulfilling these things because we can see all these little details that happen in Joseph's story. The first thing is this. Pharaoh was having nightmares. Pharaoh has to have bad dreams in order for, for Joseph to be of need. But even for Joseph to be of need, the cupbearer had to be in prison too. You see, and the cupbearer, he was there, but, but that's not all. Because the relationship with the cupbearer, it's an important relationship do you, do you know what a cupbearer is? I'll, I'll share with you some fun fact. Uh, it's a really fun job. Here's what you do. You pour drinks for Pharaoh, but before giving them to Pharaoh, you drink them first. Why? In case it was poisoned. Who's signing up for that job? Right? It's a high risk, high reward type of position. Because here's the thing. In order to be the cupbearer, you had to be trustworthy. And for some reason, Pharaoh didn't trust this cupbearer, but instead of killing him, he puts him in prison. And then even when he is in prison, he brings him back. So the level of trust has got to be even deeper than any other, like a new cupbearer. Like if this cupbearer had passed and, you know, was done with, done because he, Pharaoh didn't like him, then who's to say a young cupbearer would be like, oh, well, there's this, Pharaoh, this, this Hebrew guy in jail it wouldn't have happened. So in order for Joseph to get to Pharaoh, the cupbearer must be in prison. But here's the thing. In order for the cupbearer to be in prison and Joseph to be in prison at the same time, Potiphar, remember his former master, has to feel betrayed by Joseph. You see, because this isn't the first household that Joseph has been second in command in, is it? No, in in. in in Potiphar's house, he was in charge of everything. And the only thing that Joseph knew in his mind was the only thing that's off limits is his wife. And that accusation 
and the feelings of betrayal. You ever felt betrayed before? Think about the detour this sends Potiphar on. And his relationship with his wife couldn't have been good afterwards. I can't imagine a woman who would lie, with that, lie about that. Like, there's some things we could maybe learn about there. But Potiphar's own detour results and is needed in order for Joseph to end up in, in prison. But in order for Joseph to end up in Potiphar's house as a slave, he has to be sold into slavery. How does he end up in slavery? Well, it's because his brothers felt belittled. Because his brothers felt less than in their father's eyes. And they began to hate Joseph. And they were bitter towards Joseph. That they acted on that hate and that bitterness. And sent Joseph into slavery. order for that to happen, Jacob had to lose his most beloved son. And then there's a detour that Jacob is on as well, and he doesn't realize it. A detour of loss. And so Jacob is walking through his own thing there. There's not a person in this story that isn't on their own detour. And it may just be causing damage to their faith and to their own lives. I mean, the impact of the loss of Joseph and the the family dynamic that was going on back home for Joseph's family must have been tremendous. The fallout from Potiphar's wife's false accusations, I can't imagine what that ended up being. The scriptures don't tell us. I'm not going to even pretend like I know. But it's not a good situation. But then God, he's weaving these things together. Remember, with God, it's always more than meets the eye. Here's the thing, what God is doing is that he's orchestrating this incredible plan and this incredible purpose. This dream of Joseph's is going to lead to great good for a lot of people. I don't want to give give away the next couple of weeks, but man, it's going to get good for a whole lot of people. It means life for a whole lot of people. But here's the thing, if they don't see, if they don't have the perspective to see that God is doing something, that God is able to bring comfort in their circumstances and set them at ease. That God is able to make meaning out of the chaos, out of the trouble that they're facing. Then they'll miss out on the plan that God has for them. And maybe you're in this place right now. Like Maybe you're in a place where there's so much that has happened to you. There's so much hurt that you carry. There's so much, these things that you, that, that maybe they're traumatizing things that you've been through. And the hurt and the pain is keeping you from, from seeking after the God who loves you and cares for you and wants to bring healing and hope for you. Why do I believe that? One, I've seen it in in people who I know who live and breathe to this day. I've seen what God has done to bring healing in their lives. But two, because of his word. Because here, this is what we see in Joseph's life. In the finer details of Joseph's life, this is what God does as Joseph's perspective shifts to God's perspective and he begins to walk through his life in this way. Joseph is elevated to that position of promise from his dreams at 17. That happens. But here's the thing. Joseph, a prisoner for 13 years, forgotten in a jail cell, receives a family. He, he has a wife named Asenath. What a beautiful name. And he receives two sons. And the names of his sons, they have meaning. Manasseh means that I have forgotten my troubles and my trials. God has made me forget all my troubles and everyone in my father's 
And, and that, that, that can go either way. Like it can sound kind of like bitterness, but I think it's hope. I think it's healing. I think God is, is allowing Joseph to let go of what was done to him in his past. And he's reconciled the fact that he might not ever see them again. But God has brought healing in a place where there was only wounds and hurt and trial for 13 years. Almost half of his life up to this point. And, 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 and maybe, maybe that's where you're at. You need God to bring healing and hope. But in, in his second son's name, Ephraim, means God has made me fruitful in this land of my grief. When we think of grief, you probably, you think of, we think of black, right? Like funerals. We think of funeral dirges, those sad songs. We think of, of wastelands, right? Where the trees are all withered and leaves have all fallen. There's no life there. But, but, but Joseph says, Ephraim, my second son, God has made me fruitful land of my grief. That God can actually produce fruit from the land of your grief. The hurt, pain, grief, trouble, trial that you have experienced, have you ever asked or thought it's something small too like maybe it's something in a church like a Sunday school teacher told you not to play with micro machines when you were a kid that's what we used to do when I was a kid in church man six seven years old sitting on the pew and I didn't listen to the pastor when I was seven like what do you expect we had our micro machines and maybe somebody one day just corrected you and you've held on to that forever or maybe you've got a bigger problem with a parent or maybe you've got a problem with a grandparent or an old friend or a betrayal or, or a job or something where there's hurt and there's pain and God is wanting to help you forget that trouble and that trial so that he can bring fruit in the land of your grief. If you want that, if you want that, you have to change your perspective. Because when we change our perspective to see God's providence, we can trust and follow God's plan for our life. And, and, and I say can because it's not automatic. You can trust and follow God's plan. Doesn't mean you will, but you can. Because when our perspective gets off of this, life is that you would have a life-changing relationship with Jesus. That your life would no longer be the same because you know Jesus, and that when you trust in Jesus, your life would begin to change like Joseph's did. 
Yeah, yeah, you may not become second in command of all of America, but that's okay. There's only so many vice presidents to go around. But God can certainly take what feels like grief and hurt and pain and trauma, and he can bring life. how you begin that life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ. You confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. This means that we say, Jesus, you're Lord of my life. We're going to live our lives with him as our point of view, as him as our great perspective. The way that we're living is Jesus's way. He is in control of our lives. And then we believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead. And the reason that we believe that God raised him from the dead is because where we have grief and no fruit and all that stuff, we believe God is bringing fruit. That Jesus took our sin and the sins committed against us and he nailed them to the cross when he went to the cross and he buried them in the grave and he rose to life so that we might have new life in him. So when you begin that relationship with Jesus Christ, it is the beginning of the pathway to God's plan for you that you would have hurt and pain and trouble and trial, that you would hold on to it forever, you wouldn't let anybody in, you keep the walls up. No, God wants you. As Jesus said, I came that you might have life and life abundantly. And that offer is available to you any time, day or night. If you'd like to begin a relationship with Jesus after the service, I'm going to be here down in the front. I would love to talk with you about that. One of our pastors will be available at the hub or our team. We'd love for you to begin that relationship with Jesus. Because that's what it's all about. I mean, there's more to Joseph's story. We got got a few more chapters to go. I just want to challenge you. Man, if your perspective is locked in on this, change your perspective. Begin to look for his providence, how he's moving, how he's working, how he's doing things around you. Ask him for that. Because then you can begin to trust and follow Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the blessed hope of Jesus that we have, that our faith in him will be proven true, that one day we will be reunited with him. I thank you for Joseph's story, that throughout his life, God, that he came to a place where he didn't hold on to that bitterness anger and the hurt, God, but that he was able, that God, you led him to fruitfulness. You led him to accomplish the very thing you'd given him a dream for, God, as we continue to discover his story. I pray for those in this room, God, that maybe have dreams that feel like they're on life support, God, but if they're from you, I pray that they would have faith to hold on and to press into you, God. I pray that they would be able to see your hand of providence working in their lives, bringing things together, opening doors, closing them, 